Welcome back to the Dr. Supercoach podcast, your one-stop shop for AFL and Supercoach news. You're on with Cheezo. I'm on tonight with Pistol, mate. How are you? Doing very well, and I'm curious by a new introduction. I felt like it's been years since we haven't started the podcast in the exact same way. Well, I found it was... uh, What we never actually did was introduce what the heck we do, Pistol, and that is talk about AFL, we talk about Supercoach and the implications henceforth therewith. (laughs) And I'm just excited to finally, uh, you know, football is on the horizon again. Um, And we've got some interesting things to talk about in tonight's podcast where we're, we're going to be talking over some players we might consider buying and bringing into our team for round two. I'm definitely looking forward to buying players and hence for with implications or whatever you said earlier. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely right. Um, And I I do have to give someone a shout out, Pistol. I know it is the middle of the season and, you know, a few people have given up on on Supercoach for for 2020, but we do want to thank Bill Weicker who has jumped into the Patreon in the last seven days uh, or at least since the last podcast we've done. So thanks, Bill. Really, really appreciate it. And uh, he's already taken to slack like a, a duck-to-water pistol. So um, I think he's just as excited as we are to get football back underway um, and a lot of exciting things coming up in the near future. Um, pistol, the first thing I want to talk about uh, before we lead into these players because we are going to be talking about, um, you know, uh, what players we might want to bring in and why we might want to bring in them. The first thing that we should notice uh, or we should note when talking about these is how we think the scoring system has been a little bit uh, impacted by the lesser game time that we're getting in 2020, mate. Do you want to just uh, maybe run us through a few things that you notice from round one that we can carry over into round two with some of these selections we can use with our five trades? So something that's uh, popped up in, I guess, the best possible time right before a podcast. You can't ask for a better time to read something brilliant. Uh, Shorty, one of our Dr. Supercoach writers, um, wrote about this stat. He said, um, we saw three 170-plus scores and and 30 120-plus scores in round one. To put those 120-plus scores in perspective, over the first 10 rounds of 2019, there was an average of 23 120 plus scores per week, with the highest weekly tally being 28 in round 10. So in round one this year, we've got 30. So straight off the bat, I'm like, bang, the variance for you know round one is basically off the chain. It's nothing like we've seen before. And now we have to try and come up with the reasons as to why we think that will be the case, Chizo. Yeah, that's right. And we'll, we'll touch through a few more of those. But what I'm picking up from what you've just said is that potentially, you know, based on the limited evidence that we have in comparison to last season, we might see, you know, some higher scores than we would normally see. You know, those 110s that um, players were getting last season might end up being 125s, 130s. Is that kind of kind of what I'm picking up on there? Do be, and do you have maybe a reason why that might be the case? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. But also, don't forget that what must what goes up must come down and. If there's going to be those really high scores, there's going to be a lot more lower scores than usual as well, which may affect, I guess, some cash generation, depending on which types of players are getting those scores. Most Don't, likely don't do this to me, mate. Are you telling me that Robertson <laughs> actually got 50? Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, Robertson actually turned up, but uh, you know, everyone else got 200, so he only got scaled down to 26. <laughs> um, no, not, nothing like that. But I guess what we can say is that if Supercoach has 3,300 points per game, 
Um, and that's stock standard and as it has been in years past and as it will be for this year. If players are, yes, they're playing, I guess, less total minutes per game, but if they're staying on the ground longer and their time on ground is longer, they're just getting a larger percentage of the pie because they're on the field for longer um, compared to other players who are then spending more time off the ground. So there's more of the 3,300 pie for them to gobble up. And that was shown in round one. So um, I guess one thing hold, I guess that has held true is that important players and ones that don't get rested, which are usually one and the same, are players that are going to get you know a scoring boost in 2020. Yeah, and I guess the first type of player that, that springs to mind um, in those situations might be the Ruckman pistol in that um, they're one of those kind of positions that might eat up a bit more game time, and that may be why we're seeing a little bit of a... Um, um, a correlation between a lot of these ruckmen getting higher scores is that is that sort of something that you're kind of towing that line? Definitely, and not just that. Is they're in a position where I guess the super coach scoring plays that they participate in are genuinely worth a lot of points. You know, if you're uh, between the arcs and you're getting five points for a hit out to advantage, and there's I guess less points being spread around. If you're if you're doing that, you know, a certain amount of times per game, you can really spike some large scores and you know if you're on the right side of the variance um, you could get some very very big scores as Ruckman and all that contested ball winning is all extremely valuable as well so Ruckman that there is a legitimate reason as to why they're scoring much better um, than previous years it's not just oh Ruckman score well just because Ruckman score well yeah and I guess if I if I can really break this down into the nitty-gritty it's that the algorithm hasn't really changed. And so a kick is still worth, you know, the same amount of base points. A, a contested intercept mark is still worth the same amount of base points. But what we were seeing in previous years, is that at the end of each game, the total points that had been accrued was very close to the 3,300 cap. And so there was less kind of room for scaling and, and, and uh, things of those sort. Whereas this year with the limited game time in comparison, there's less time for these for the accumulation of points overall, um, and, and and so you you might find that there's a little bit of scaling that goes on at the end of the end of the game. So we might have, you know, a, a player that's had a really good game and racked up 150 points to begin with, but once that you know sort of scaling and stuff comes in towards the end, we might see a 170 from. Is that is that sort of you know a way to break it down, or is it a little bit more complex than that? I mean. It's super coach. Everything is complex, <laughs> um, and you know, and totally theoretical. And totally theoretical because we don't actually know what the scoring system is uh, to perfection. I mean, maybe in this break, uh, Champion Data uses time to redefine the super coach scoring system between rounds one and round two. Based Wouldn't on, surprise me. You know, would not surprise what me. they've done in round one. Who, who we don't know. We'll, we will find out with everyone else in round two. Geez. So, um, did you want to yeah. touch a bit on the scoring? Uh, sorry, the price change system. Um, just, I guess reiterates how it's going to work in terms of a, a two-round price change, or I should say players changing after playing two games. Yeah. So essentially this season, the shorter season, that's something that we did know um, prior to the start of round one is that the pricing changes will be different in 2020. We finally got a little bit more um, you know, comprehensive description of exactly what's going to happen essentially what they're going to be doing is they're still using a three game rolling average so you're probably asking how they're going to in implement three games into this 
you know, rolling average that's going to be changing after the first two rounds. Well, they're going to have their third game, or what we would call game zero, is based on the average that corresponds with the price that they started the year at. So if you have a player, um, let's let us let us just take someone, for example, Brody Grundy is $706,000 this year. Round zero will be the score that corresponds to um, that that would uh, that, that price that price that's right. So this this gives us a little bit of an insight into what might happen with players that have a discount in twenty twenty pistol. We're talking about the likes of Titch and Roberton because their round zero theoretically is going to be based on their price, which is going to be discounted rather than their average. So. Rather than Titch's round zero being his previous average in the 120s, it's actually going to be more related to what price he started the year at. Am I correct in making those sorts of assumptions as far as we know? Yeah, and the impact to that is that for players like Robertson who are priced you know, very lowly, I mean, look, it doesn't help that he scored 26 in round one, but his first price change, because he's got that round zero of a very low average, his first price change is going to be um, smaller than expected. And then in the round three one, it would be larger than expected. Um, Again, the 26 kind of ruins that theory because he genuinely scored poorly, but maybe Tom Mitchell probably should have rolled with that as a better um, example. You know, priced it, I think it was 130 or 129. Sorry, that's what his average was, but priced at 10% less than that. Um, his his round zero is going to end up being closer to the 120 than 130. So his first price rise isn't going to accurate, accurately reflect what he's actually you know scoring. Um, so so that kind of chizo there's there's a little bit of strategy there because some players um, that are discounted then potentially I'm talking about someone like Duday or someone like Stephen Hill if they do play you know their first game this week and then where the price change next week. Um, there is kind of potentially wiggle room to pick them up in the week after that, in round four after one price rise. It's obviously not ideal. You'd want to get them when they're on the bubble, but just in terms of how much they're going to go up, um, it buys you a little bit of extra time, which could be something that we desperately need this year. Yeah, it also does the converse. If you've got um, someone that's priced really highly, um, let's take a, a, a Dunkley, for example, who only had 67 in round one his average um, that is going to be used as the round zero is actually going to help bump that up. Whereas in previous years, when the price had changed, if he'd had three weeks of 67, that's pretty much just you know tanking his average. So it kind of works in both ways. It's really more impactful in terms of our super coach selections this year, as you say, on these discounted players. And I'll throw something out to you that I've just kind of thought of just now, Pistol. Does this potentially give people the option of not forcing themselves to jump on them prior to round two if they wanted to have another look at them. Let's take a Devin Smith, for example. Say um, you weren't totally confident that he's going to get the the right role, that he, he put up 105 in round one, but you really still think he's going to be playing across that half-forward line and you want to see if he can back it up in round two. Well, that average that he's going to have as round zero is priced at 335k. That's going to help kind of slow the ascent of his price rise and may give you the opportunity to get another week's look at him if you wanted. Whereas right now, out in the Twitter sphere and the general consensus is if you are thinking about someone, you must definitely get them prior to round two. And maybe that isn't quite the case. 
you, you just used exactly what I said about Duday, but the opposite, where I was going, it gives you a week to see about Duday if he's going to actually be successful. And then you've used it on Devin Smith. I feel like you're stealing my thunder, Chizo. So it sounds like that my logic is flawless if you <laughs> yeah. came up with the idea. Did you inception don't you, me? Is don't this, you mean Chizo? This, this is Chizo's logic now. Now everyone will forget that I ever said it, and now when people think back on it, like Chizo made a good point, and it will just be attributed to you from now on. Everyone remembers the end of the conversation, not the beginning. <laughs> All right. How about they remember the end of this conversation and we go straight into the, the buy these players um, segment of the podcast. And I should say it's buy these players with an asterisk. It's uh, players that we see people buying and we're going to discuss, I guess, the pros and cons or what's good about them, what's bad about them. I guess that's another way of saying pros and cons. Um and just 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 talk a little bit more in depth around. Um, I've got you into a bit of a list. fluster, haven't I? Know, I? You have you know, a little bit of a fluster <laughs> after stealing your thunder. Let's let's talk a little bit um, about the first player on my list. We're going to go in positional order. Uh, let's start with defenders, Chizo. All right, we'll start with defenders. Jeremy Howe is a name that keeps cropping up um, in 2020 after a really impressive round one. And the thing that probably impressed me the most, um, you know, it, it's similar to the role that we've seen him played in the past. However, what's dissimilar this year is just how important intercepting players are and how those points are being kind of spread out, spread out as the game time has shortened. And we've seen a few, uh, I think Shannon Hearn's another one uh, to, 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 to put in this kind of bracket, really getting a boost from being that intercepting, contested kind of player, which we know Jeremy Howe can be. Yeah, I'm going to try and explain it as best as I can. It might not be good, but I'm going to hear what here goes. I'm going anyway. to paraphrase it and then repeat it, and then it'll be <laughs> Cheezos again. So Jeremy Howe has a, a lot of intercept marking plays, um, particularly contested intercept marking is worth a lot more points. So let's say in a usual game of football, so not in a shortened 2020 season, he gets five intercept marking plays and each one of them is worth let's say 10 points for for this example so he's got 50 points from that that's fantastic now we're comparing that to a midfielder who might get 30 possessions so a lot of little point scoring plays that just get lots of little handballs now if we look at a shorter game such as what is happening in 2020 those events for Jeremy Howe the intercept markings they either happen or they don't happen so if they happen they could happen, you know, five times, um, or they could happen zero times, which leads to his scoring having very high variance. Whereas those midfielders still are going to rack up, you know, twenty possessions per game, so they're still going to be getting, I guess, similarly similarly scaled and scoring um, proportionately to scores that they had in the past. But players like Jeremy Howe, when you have high scoring plays or super coach plays you're going to have super high variance and I think that's what happened in round one where he scored 156 points which is enormous now my concern is obviously will he maintain it no he's not going to maintain 156 but can he maintain it at a pace where over the course of the season he ends up as a top 10 super coach defender and I do think that's possible Chizo and he's only 431000 So he comes in a little cut price where we're trying to penny pinch and save some money, um, which sounds really impressive. However, some people are calling him a cash cow, someone they're using to generate money. He's got a breaking break even of eight. Even if he were to go 100 you know, back-to-back in the next two weeks, he's not making enough money for him to be a worthwhile cash cow. So if you're using him for that reason, 
just think about it and uh, don't do it. Well, we we said this in the the Super Coach for Beginners at the start of the year when we're talking about these terms. What do we mean? People saying that Jeremy Howe is going to be a cash cow are saying to us that he needs to make a hundred k more or more that you can then cash in and get one of the the premiums you want. The thing is, if he's making us a hundred k, he's going to be basically a premium defender anyway. So it, it it he becomes one of those underpriced premiums that we're looking at, and he's basically perfectly comparable to Sam Doherty. Anyone that picks Sam Doherty is picking him for the same reason. You're not picking him to be a cash cow. You're picking him to get back to his premium status. And so I think that's important to remember when you're looking at Jeremy Howe. That's why you're picking him. You're not doing a cash grab on him because I just don't think that's the, that, that's the relevant point. But it's really interesting how you say that he's got that scoring uh, you know, pattern that he can accrue 50 points in the quarter just the way that he plays. And, you know, that is... He he might be 30 seconds away from getting another one of those contested marks before the siren goes. And so um, he, he's more reliant on those things happening. So something to be um, considerate of and, and, and cognizant of, Pistol. But we'll move on to the next player unless you have anything else to wrap up. Well, just with high-scoring points plays, uh, obviously you get more of the super coach pie, so then you also get on top of that probably favourable scaling, I imagine. Yeah. So... It just it's like more points breeds even more points um, type of a situation. So um, anyway, let's let's talk about the next person on the list, Chizo. All right, next on the list we have Tom Duday. Recovered from his preseason uh, injury, looks like he's going to get a, a crack at it come round two. It's, it seems likely. Previous years he's gone at eighty plus. You know, even if we get that from him, it looks like he's going to be a reasonable selection in our sides. Look. If he was fit round one, I think um, nearly everyone would have had him in their team. Um, I guess there's some problems now where you have to spend a trade to bring him in and then you have to try and justify if he actually is going to be able to make you enough money for him to be considered a worthwhile cash cow. However, it it kind of, to me, is irrelevant. Not, not ir- irrelevant totally on how much money he's going to make. I'm kind of putting him into a category of like, Anything above 100k is going to be good enough as a backline defender rookie, and I'm going to throw him in the rookie basket, even though it's more of a mid price. just because there there really aren't many rookies that are going to make 100k in the backline. Um, I'm incredibly worried that any of the backline rookies that do come through, and there is not many. If we're talking about the, the people like Stasevic who may get dropped, even if he plays, I'm worried we get the reverse. Um, of what we were talking about, where the rich get richer. And, and Stasevich is going to end up being on the poor get poorer side, and he could potentially be averaging in the 20s or 30s and not making any money. So for somebody to have a scoring potential like Duday, where he went 82 in his rookie year, um, it doesn't really matter to me if he only makes 100K. That's 100K more than I'm expecting other defender rookies to make. Yeah, and I, I guess the, the thing that you'll notice looking across many people's defensive lines there's a lot of these rookies that we have are expensive anyway and so they actually need to be playing quite well to make us 100k at least the the we have exposed knowledge exposed form from dude in years past about what we may be able to expect and so you know looking at someone um even like a roberton he's only 13k more than roberton um and, and some of these you know 200k defenders that we had to jump on board because stocks were so thin in the back line 
it may only be an eighty thousand dollar upgrade to get him, but you're probably going to make that back in the money he will make from you know being a consistent player that we know is going to get game time and has the capability to score well because he he uses the ball quite well and he has similar um, intercepting traits as what we've just talked about with Jeremy Howe. Yeah, and and you want to get those players that are going to score in the 20s and 30s off your field. Like you could be having an amazing week and you have two players left and you're on, you know, 2200 and you end up with a 20 and a 30 from your last two players and that just is going to be absolutely killer this year. So avoiding that situation sounds good to me. Um, Question mark over roll with McKaysey. If if they're going to play Fisher as that kind of intercept marker and use Duday Moore as lockdown, then we're going to be in a little bit of trouble. Um, But... We've got a week to wait and see if you want to wait and see because there might be other rookies that are named this week and uh, cause a logjam and a problem where next week we want to get Duday, but we can't because there's three other rookies that we want to get instead. So potentially if I had to go early on one of the rookies, uh, Duday with his job security is somebody that I would consider purchasing before he's played a game. Yeah, and um, I, I think I, I agree with that. And just wait and see. We can move on. Yep, all right. So next on the list, Chizo, we have Stephen Hill. Um, 190K still. He has yet to change price. Um, he didn't play in round one due to injury. How do you see him now after one week? Um, it's going to be interesting because we know that he's still to be determined. You know, it, it, We would love Stephen Hill to be available come round two, and we wanted him come round one. It's been a couple months now, and he still seems to be dealing with the same niggling issue, and that's probably what doesn't give me the confidence in picking him. I like, I, I, I think talking about Stasevic, um, you know, BZT might, uh, we'll talk about in a second, might not get get named either, and so he might be a, stra- a good swap if he's in. I just have no confidence in his body. I just feel like he's going to be maybe brought into our team at some stage for maybe a fifty, sixty, or thousand dollar price rise, only for him to go back out through injury and we're forced to move him to someone else at two hundred and fifty, two hundred and sixty k. It, it's it, we're ho- I'm hopeful that he's going to be a good cash cow for us, but how many times does being hopeful in Supercoach actually work in our favour? Well, it's terrifying the thought of trying to jump on him before he's played a game because you don't know if he's going to play a second game. It's it's horrible thinking that he was set for round one, I guess we'll call it, had a small niggle, small injury, and months later he's still not able to put his hand up and say, I'm 100% playing in round two. That is absolutely terrifying in a super coach selection. So um, massive wait and see. I, I hope that he's going to be fully fit. But, you know, if he doesn't play next week, I'm not going to be too upset. I'd rather him be 100% fully right, not rush back. Um, you know, they play him in rounds three or four and we'll be able to pick him up later if he's looking good or not. But, yeah, no questions over his scoring potential. Just that that body is a huge risk, Chizo. Yeah, and you know, even if he does play next week, there's almost the argument that you can make to wait and see because we don't actually know exactly what role they have, you know, in stock for him anyway. Because um, we've seen where he's he's played in the past, but we haven't seen him, you know, play in anger for for quite some time now. So it would even be a wait and see to know if he's got the the role that's going to be super coach friendly or not. So um, it, it, definitely wait and see for me. Uh, and and we'll we'll talk about uh, the next defender 
uh, on the list down to the rookie price, and that's Will Gould, Pistol. Someone that we hoped would be there round one, and you know, we still nothing really has changed for me. I have I've still got no confidence that he's going to be there, but we are desperate for backline rookies. Totally desperate, and you know, if he's named, he's going to be just an absolute one star and two star player for our super coach teams because we're just so desperate for a backline rookie. Um, you know, this is more of a he's on the list for a fingers crossed. Um, please, please, please play him. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, nothing else sums it up like that. He's, he's basement price, he's got the right role. Hopefully he's been able to build some fitness over the last couple of weeks. Uh, if anything that was holding him back, it was a little bit to do with um, his fitness in, in many ways, getting up to the AFL standard. So uh, maybe it's actually been a benefit for someone like Will Gould. We won't know until um, we see the team sheets, but uh, definitely want to keep an eye on. Uh, that wraps up the defensive line on players that we might want to look at buying. We'll move into the midfield. Pistol, the number one on my list of players that I really want to get my hands on uh, is Lockie Neal, mate. Is there a reason why we wouldn't want to grab him? Can't think of one, Chiso. <laughs> Me either. I can't think about it. I mean, and it, it, it's important to acknowledge that we all wanted him. It's just that people like you and me didn't end up with him in our teams because of the buy structure, which now no, no is no longer a factor. Yeah, I mean, I got a little bit mixed up thinking about the buys, and then when you know buys not announced, when they were, I guess taken back I'm like oh what am I going to do with my side and it ended up that Lockie Neil missed the card I, I'm, I'm pretty happy with my five midfielders so I don't really regret not well, I mean I regret not starting because of how the scoring system worked out but I'm not can't I can't be upset with my current choices but Chizo, I think um, as long as people aren't sideways trading from you know an already good midfielder to Lockie Neal um, otherwise I just there's no reason not to get him if you're looking if you're in the need for a midfielder. You know he's probably the one. What if you were sidewaysing from someone that let you down in round one? Um, well, Chizo, you're you're pretty cheap. I'm not sure how I'd be able to find the funding to get you up to Lockie Neal. <laughs> that that is fair enough. My super coach career uh, averaged 17 <laughs> over 40 games, so I uh, actually lost money after round one. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I think all the things that we said about him in the preseason still apply. The only thing that's changed is buy structure, and I think the, the scoring system is going to suit him down to a T. Uh, and it's uh, it, I can only see good things coming for him. Um, the next one that we don't really spend, need to spend much more time on because we've already covered him in previous podcasts is Paddy Dangerfield Pistol. Lots to like about him. Again, had the early buy, which watered a few people off like myself, but his run in the next four weeks is undeniably good. Oh, it's all about those home games at the Cattery. I mean, you'd pick him if you knew he was going to play every game there. Um, but it is what it is, and uh, he's a great pick. So, uh, yeah, let's move on. Yeah, I absolutely, absolutely agree. Now, your trap of the day, I mean, player <laughs> of the day, Jack Viney, Trapped Viney, um, you're a big fan of his. I want you to convince me here live on the podcast that I need him in my side. Look, Chizo, if I know one thing, it's that you're way too stubborn, so there's, <laughs> there's no chance I'm going to be able to convince you. But I'll, I'll put an argument out. Um, I've, I've put one out before, but maybe with a little bit more clarity. Um, you know, it, it might help. But we're talking about trying to make money and how desperate we are to make money. And it's all about the rookies and getting in the right rookies. What if the rookies that present themselves after 
this round one, so before round two, just aren't good. What happens if they're poor rookies? What happens if they're rookies that don't have good scoring potential? Am I really going to be trading in rookies just because they're playing? If they're averaging, you know, 20, 30, 40 points? That doesn't sound too good to me. Jack Viney, though, he's got a negative 19 break even. So he's making money if he takes to the field. Um, well, unless he gives away like five free kicks <laughs> and then gets injured. Um, you know, he gets angry sometimes. He does, he does. Um, but we're expecting him to be a you know, guaranteed moneymaker. Um, and to me, that's that's all he is. He's, he's in an area um, where he's going to be playing four really great matchups to start the season. Um, you know, this is basically... I guess we could say not best case scenario, but probably common case scenario is Jack Viney ends up going 100 and 100 in the next two weeks. He's got Carlton this week, so even if it averages out at 100, um, he makes 100K. That, that's that's free 100K. That's bank. We're taking it in. Um, you know, I could be sideways trading a rookie and that, you know, from a non-playing rookie to a playing rookie, and that rookie might not even make me 100K. Um, so... I like the sounds of guaranteed money. Um, I like eliminating the risk of, I guess, getting a rookie that might get dropped or might not play. At least I know Jack Viney's going to play. And he will also score well enough on my field um, that it will not let my team down. I'm not going to be getting those 20s and those 30 scores. He'll score well enough. And he is cheap enough as well that it doesn't take a lot to get him. He's only 430k. So if you missed any mid-pricer in your starting squad... He's pretty easy and reasonable to get to. So the only thing, I agree, all the numbers check out. I've done the math, I've got the calculator out, you're spot on. How confident are we that Jack Viney's going to go 100-100? I mean, even if he goes, you know, 50-50, and that would be worst case scenario, he still makes money, gee, so... (laughs) I don't know, in 13 games between Carlton and Essendon, I mean... uh, Seven games against Carlton, six games against Essendon. He's got an average of 76, an average of 71.2 against those two teams. Over an extended period of time, he's never turned up against Essendon. You're expecting him to create history here in getting his first ton against Essendon. Was this his first 186 score as well? (laughs) I actually got surprised when I saw that. I forgot how high he went in round one. I was thinking like 150, something like that. But um, Yeah, no, I, I, I... I can appreciate what you're saying. I just I, I I I I like that you're chasing cash and you know that's what we need to do this year. I think I'm going to be prioritizing players that I mistakes that I think I've made in my side and there are a few. Um I think for me personally Jack Vine is going to be a bit of a luxury because I'm going to have to choose one of my midfielders to go. Or I'm gonna to have to choose. I'm gonna to have to choose one of the premiums I have in my current side to be able to get him in there somehow. So at at this stage, I'm considering him coming into my side as a bit of a luxury if I've worked out the other four and I'm going sweet. I mean, you're using one of yours to get Neil, so I guess you're tossing up that same player that you're trading out. You're either going to go downgrade and get Viney and bank some cash and use that on your fifth trade or you're going to end up going up to Neil. Um, and that's going to be a, a big decision for you. You get one absolute keeper and one bona fide gun, and the other one is lucky Neil. <laughs> yep. I, I appreciate that, mate. Um, I, I, I think we need to do a cancer council dono if you don't end up with Viney in your team for round two, but oh we'll move on. We'll stay, we'll stay in the uh, Look, midfield. If, if, 
yeah, sorry, we'll, we'll talk about this later. <laughs> off the podcast, yeah, yeah. <laughs> off air. <laughs> yeah. uh, we'll, we'll move it on to Andy McGrath. Interesting first round from an Essendon perspective. Um, it's kind of the role that I expected him to play with Heppel missing. Um, he's also still to be confirmed when he's going to be coming back. He still uh, looks like a few weeks away. Good things for Andy McGrath. We know he's got the pedigree. I've always questioned whether he had the size to be a dominant full-time midfielder, and so I see him more as a long-term, more outside, sort of like a, a Zaharakis-type um, player um, that he played at the same sort of age. Do we think that he's going to be able to keep it up in 2020, mate? I, I think that's the, the the question on everyone's list that, that have been looking at Andy McGrath waiting for his, his big breakout. Yeah, look, I'll say I'm not a massive fan of the pick, but I can understand it. And if there was a year where he could play as a full-time mid, it would be the year with shorter quarters, you know, just to give his yeah. body a break. Like from a physical standpoint, he's going to be getting hit hard time and time again at every contest. And as you said, he's more of a little man. And I think with shorter quarters, he's going to take less of a beating. So this is the year, if he's going to have a breakout year, Um it's now, but for me, I, I feel like it's not going to be a super coach relevant year for, for McGrath again. I, I think as a midfielder only, I don't see him eclipsing a score that's going to make the selection relevant. I don't, I don't like he could absolutely have a year where he goes 105 plus, but at the price that he's currently at, I don't have any confidence that he's going to. Um, He's going to have the, the, the time inside. We know he's got the pedigree. There's No one's questioning that. It's just whether long-term he can make it as a full-time midfielder um, rather than more of an outside player with good disposal by foot is, is going to be the interesting question. We don't have many good disposers in the midfield. He's probably one of our better ones, and they're thinking about you know making him a, a, an in-and-under kind of player. I just don't see it happening long term, especially when Heppel comes back. So um, I'm I'm certainly very hesitant on on going Andy McGrath, but I don't I don't knock those that have you know watched that game and uh, you know decided that this is the year that he's going to pull the trigger because we've been waiting a few years for it to happen. Yeah, and talking about um, Essendon players that are I guess poor by foot, uh, the next player on the list is Hibbard. Shield. <laughs> Shield. Parish. It could be any of them. Zach Merritt. <laughs> am I, am, no, oh, Hibbert, sorry. You're, yeah, you're Hibbert. Right. Hibbert. He, um, we were disappointed when he got injured in the preseason and he kind of fell out of favour for round one. But, Chizo, do you see him as a player that could potentially line up in off. round two? Uh, absolutely. He, he's, he's no longer on the injury list. He's um, been getting the aerobics uh, back into the legs. It's one of those things where we need a more concrete answer. That's the one thing that I've always found with Essendon is that it's always six one and a half a dozen the other. Like he would absolutely make great sense having a bigger body contested inside mid, playing that role that he played in the VFL in 2019. Um, but whether they're actually going to find a spot for him and put him in there as opposed to the 17 under-14s halfbacks that we have in our side half the time is going to be the interesting thing. Uh, if he's named, I would have no hesitation getting on him at you know a bargain basement price because it's it's indicating to me that yeah you, know, you know it's almost like the start of the season again. It's almost like round one that they're picking him with virtually no preseason, virtually no practice games. I, that would give me a lot of confidence that they're going to 
Um, they have you know plans for him in the side. Um, if he's overlooked in round one, I think that answers the question. If he's named, I think I, I would be looking to get him in. If Hibbert is named in round two, then he's the one that I will end up with, I think, instead of Viney, because I can see Hibbard making more money than Viney. So for me, that would definitely, yeah. definitely be worth it. Um, Chizo, talking about, I guess, more rookie price midfielders that are on people's radar, Harley Bunnell... Um, You're really trying hard to, to amp this up before you, you dropped his name, weren't you? Uh, look, the thing You're is, I, like... I feel like we've spoken about him because we spoke about Stephen Hill, and it's like almost identical, right? Yeah. See, uh, I, I feel like Harley Bunnell is like the Voldemort of Supercoach. Like, we're just not allowed <laughs> to say his name at this stage. Uh. Um, all, all the things that we've said over the last five years still apply. He is supremely talented, if not crueled with injury. And if he gets a good run at it, he is going to be probably the cash cow of 2020 we have to learn from our mistakes and just know that even if he does get half a dozen games, you know, that may be enough to make that cash, but what's the chances that he's going to get six in a row? I mean, it, does, it, doesn't, it doesn't help us if we burn a trade to bring him in. He plays four games and we get him out and he's still 200K. What have we made? 70 grand. I mean, it's better than zero. <laughs> but I'd rather have those two trades on someone that I feel more confident is actually going to get game time. It's a, it's exactly, precisely as you said, Stephen Hill, same situation. Injury history, even if they are named, I probably still want to see some more. Look, Benel, he could play in a role where they try and protect him. Like For all we know, they're going to stick him Toby Bedford's role, um, you know, and they'll play him deep forward and we'll just say... Yeah, just don't get injured, just get through the games. And he ends up being that player that ends up scoring 20s and 30s. Like, we're not too sure. Yeah. Um, I'd love him to play. I'd probably, I don't even know if I'd get him when he's on the bubble, to be honest. I want to see him yeah. play a third game. It's a terrifying selection. It depends what other rookies are available. Um, <laughs> Chizo, another rookie that missed out on round one due to injury and could potentially be back for round two. Um, Jackson Mead from Port Adelaide. Um, I was really excited about having him my starting side, and then you know um, he copped an injury and and missed out. Is he potentially somebody that you would select? Um, I guess even before he's played a game. I'll put it to you this way, Pistol. I found out the news, and I immediately rang JB just to get confirmation about what had happened and that he was injured and unlikely to make round one. You know, JB is a really happy, easygoing bloke. And this was the first time I felt a little bit of a waver in his voice. There was <laughs> a little bit of pain, a little bit of disappointment, and, uh, you know, a lot of sadness he couldn't pick him for round one. Mead is the exact type of player that Port Adelaide would like running through their best 22. Yes, he's young, but he has the skills and um, the assets necessary to, to, to make an impact even at uh, his young age. So... The fact that he was in the conversation for round one, and not only the conversation, he was probably the one rookie that we had locked into our sides in January. You know what I mean? Like it, the the hype was so big around him. I, if he is ready to go round two, and they've slammed him straight in there again, it's that same situation that it just signals to me that they have confidence in him and is someone that I should have confidence as well putting into my side. Because not only that, he's also got the scoring game, the game to 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 make use of the scoring system in Supercoach. So um, I'd, I'd, I would be more comfortable putting someone um, like that into my side because he's, he's, 
um, so cheap as well in comparison. Yeah, I definitely agree with you, Chizo. And I just want to confirm, are you sure he wasn't all stressed out and anxious and depressed just because uh, he had to talk to you on the phone? Look, <laughs> you know, correlation and causation are two different things, mate. <laughs> um, but, you know, you make, you make a fair point. Another fair point that I should raise as we move from the midfielders into the into the ruck line is that this guy here, you've been advocating for him to go into your side at R3. Correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> oh, gosh. All right. Let's talk about Sam Naismith. Um, and let's talk about why you shouldn't have him at R3. Um, Chizo has done me dirty. Um, <laughs> classic setup. So I guess... <laughs> <laughs> so there's been some talk um, in the wider Supercoach community as well about potentially using Naismith as a cash cow, which he definitely is a cash cow, um, and bringing him in to your sides when you have started, um, I guess, a Gorn or, or a Grundy, or, or both of them, I should say, and then bringing him Naismith and putting him at R3. I'm not a super huge fan of the move, Chizo, and that's because you need to remove 150k from your field to invest it into your bench to be able to have him on your bench. And then you have to have him on your bench for, you know, five, six, seven weeks to be able to, you know, him earn his cash to be able to trade him out. Now, yes, I agree that he's going to be a fantastic cash cow, if not one of the best cash cows. He could make 200k, he could make 250k, who knows how much... He, he could make to 50k, but whatever. Who knows how much he can make this year. Um, thinking that he can get to 450k is not unreasonable. Unre- I think he can make um, 200k, but it's the fact that you've pulled out money from your field, so you're now at a scoring deficit against all the other teams for all those weeks that Naismith is on your bench. So, um, for example, if you have Darcy Fort, at, who's pretty much the same price, on your forward line instead of Naismith on your bench, you have the point difference in however much Fort is outscoring your um, F6 by, and that might be a Kavara-type player. Um, it might be, a, oh, I wish I shouldn't have chosen Georgidis. I don't know how to pronounce it. It could be Max King. Um, Davis. It could be. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> could be. could be any type of those players. And if you're earning 20 or 40 points per week um, just because of this extra money, and you have to wait for Naismith, to, I guess, to, to take out the money from Naismith. If it takes five weeks at 40 points a week, you're down 200 points, and then Naismith needs to, I guess, make enough money more than another alternative rookie that you've brought in just to be able to justify, you know, getting 200 points back. So if I want to use a real-life example, um, I might get a crappy midfield rookie instead of Naismith, and my crappy midfield rookie might make 130k and Naismith has made 200k in six weeks time so yes the person with Naismith has made 70k more than me but I'm 200 points ahead and I have 70k less but there's only 10 weeks to go to make up those 200 points so I have to bring in somebody for 70k more that's going to make up 20 points per game more than the player that you know I've brought in um, from my I guess cheaper player it's really hard to make a player who is only 70k more than another player average 20 points per game more than the worst player. I don't know if you're following Cheezo. I feel like I'm just spitting numbers right now. Um, you did spit numbers and I followed it the whole way. I'm with you. Perfect. I'm glad to hear. It's really difficult to do that. I just think it, it 
definitely can pay off. And if Grundy or Gorn get injured and you have ruck cover, brilliant, you win straight away. But, Chizo, it's a low risk, sorry, it's a high risk play and it's a low reward play, which is the worst type of risk to take in Supercoach. If you want to get Naismith, put him on your field. That's that's the way that you're going to get the most bang for your buck because you're going to have a lot more money freed up to have him as your R2. And then on top of that, he's going to accumulate in price and you're, then you're going to be able to, I guess we'll call it, stem the flow of however many points you're leaking to a Gorn Grumpy combination when you're able to upgrade him um, when he reaches 450k six weeks later, whatever it may be. Um, and that's the way that you're going to be able to try game points in the competition, but it's not going to be from Naismith at R3. That's right. And the way that I think about it is if you had Darcy Fort in the forward line and you have Max King on the forward bench, bringing Naismith to R3 is the same concept as putting Darcy Fort on the bench in your forward line and bringing Max King on the field. That's essentially what you're doing. You're taking money that you have on field, generating cash and generating points for you, more importantly, and putting it on the bench in exchange for a cheaper player because you have to take money away from somewhere to get Naismith into your team, most likely if you're upgrading like a Cherry if you had them at R3, for example, right? Likewise, you wouldn't put um, a Jared Brander on field over a Dylan Robertson and put it... Oh, you probably would, actually. <laughs> probably, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the, 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 the thought process is still the same. You know, like it, it, when we have those situations, it seems like, oh, no way would I put 260K on my bench, right? Like I'd, you want them on field because they're points generating. And the same thing applies. You're just taking that cash from somewhere else. So instead of having a Darcy Fort, for example, in your forward line scoring points, you'd have a Buderick who had 44 in round one. So um, it's important to remember that they are nearly identical thought processes there. The second thing is that we've just established our theory, and, you know, it's our theory, that Ruckman are going to be benefited from the scoring system. And and the way that the 2020 season is panning out. For that reason, why would you want to spend 150k upgrading someone only for them to be scoring 110 on your bench multiple weeks in a row? I think it's a hard decision, but a good decision to chase the players that are guaranteed game time and to make us cash and with limited rookies we're forced into making tough decisions. I don't want to trade out Max Gorn. I don't want to trade out Brody Grundy. They're probably going to be 10 points clear of uh, like the third-ranked Ruckman in 2020. And we talked last podcast about how good Max Gorn next month is going to be, the, the type of Ruckman he's coming up against. So he is probably going to go 120, 130. The problem is he's not going to make us any money. Can we have someone for literally a third of his price scoring only 20 points less allow us to use 500 grand or is it 400 grand to redistribute and restructure our side in a way never before possible with five trades in a round? That is the question and that is the crux for me of why the Naismith trade is the most important this, you know, this season and how you go with it. Because if you choose to keep going and you miss Naismith, where are you getting that money from? 
you might not need that's it. right you may not you may not need it but for me i'm in a situation where i would be forced to restructure my side significantly if i chose to downgrade one of my one or two ruckman and i i think it's i i don't think you can have your cake and eat it too i don't think having him at r3 is doing the best service for your team because we've already established the shorter season if you fall behind waiting for Naismith to make cash, losing some of those points you could be getting on field, you've got no time to catch up. That's the way I see it. And Chizo, um, firstly, good job explaining that. That's That was very helpful for me as well. Um, so I appreciate that. I think I should say like Naismith could be, a, a, the, I guess he could be a fine choice for R3 if no other rookie is named and there's no other way for me to make you know, I've got five trades and I just can't generate any cash because, you know, four of our rookies are dropped and there's not four rookies named and Naismith is an option, then yeah, maybe I would take some money out of my side just so that I could get money because then the equation doesn't become a 70k difference between a crappier midfield rookie and Naismith on my bench accumulating money. It becomes nothing accumulating money versus Naismith. And then you'll definitely yeah. win over, over, you know, 10 rounds. But currently, as we can, I guess, foresee... Um, that's not going to be the case. We're going to have some rookies. So um, I think that's that's very important to note, Chizo. And um, yeah, basically what you said really uh, hit the nail on the head for me. And um, I personally would love to keep going. I do plan to keep him if there are enough rookies named. If there's not enough rookies named for me to fix specific holes in my team, mostly down back, then I might be, I guess, forced into trading Gorn to Naismith, but it's it's not my, I guess, it wouldn't be my number one option. Yeah, and it's one of those things, it's going to come down to the perceived cash generation. If you're looking at your side and you're like, I've got two donuts on my defensive bench and one of my midfielders' bench isn't playing, you're like, where am I going to get this money from? You're going to have to start making some moves. Yep. Whereas if we see a whole plethora of rookies come through that we can stock, stock our side up with, there's no necessity to change the structure dramatically to get Naismith as good as he's going to be by the looks of it. Yeah, I so, agree. Uh, I, I, I think it. And he's actually the only Ruckman that we're going to talk about, Pistol, because no, I'm not picking Source. How many times do I have to say it? <laughs> Everyone, oh, we should pick Source. No, get off my Twitter. <laughs> so we're gonna jump. We're gonna jump into the uh, the the forward line, and the forward line's probably got the most to talk about, Pistol. There's a lot of different options that we could go with. A lot of these mid-price players that we're looking to see what their role might be. And the first one's the easy one. We're talking about him every year. Isaac Heaney, no buddy for the next two to three months. Um, Tom Papley was on the radio just recently saying that they're definitely going to be playing him forward, um, even after a really good round one. And we know he can still score well with playing forward, um, but I'm not keeny on Heaney if he's playing forward. <laughs> Actually, with our buddy... Um, last year, he's averaged more without Buddy. Um, Don't than, bring numbers into sorry, this. The other way around. <laughs> Don't bring num. Sorry, I, I wait. Apologize. Are you defending me or not? <laughs> so wait. That's why I want to get straight. So, am I only defending you if I use defend numbers? me if it helps? <laughs> I don't want you tearing my ship down. I can't. Okay. So I, I have to choose carefully if I'm going to be able to use numbers to, to justify my arguments or not, depending on <laughs> whether or not it benefits you. All right. I just wanted to make it clear. Um, but no, in, in all seriousness, in 2019, um, when he played with Buddy, he averaged 92. And when he played without Buddy, he averaged 96. So 
he actually played better when Buddy wasn't there. So when he had to play more of a forward role, he scored a little bit better, not worse. So um, we okay. did we did speak about this, Chizo, in our um, pre-season 30 and 30, that our 30 podcasts in 30 days when we covered um, Heaney, that it was kind of a... What's that thing called when everyone thinks one thing, but it's actually the other? Um, I don't know. <laughs> it's not the Mandela effect, but it's something similar like that. I, I, I'm sure I know what you're talking about, but I'm having a mental blank right now. <laughs> anyway, so Heaney playing forward should actually be a positive um, on his scoring. However, short you know, game time. No, it's not that. I know. I know. Less, less opportunities. No, he'll have. The thing, so I guess it's twofold. Sydney suck right now. Yes. Okay. You hit the nail <laughs> on the head. Sydney are not very good, and I know he's going to have like these burst scoring opportunities and these high point plays, and that's going to be good for scaling, and he's going to win some games of his own boot, and he's going to do super well with these like high variants that he'll be able to hit. But he's a player that's also going to score really badly at some stage, and when he scores really badly at some stage, he's going to drop a lot in price, and when he drops to that 430k mark, which he does every season. That's when we're going to get him in our sides, but it's not going to be right now. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. I, uh, it, it's the same thing that we've seen for five years. So there's no no reason to think it's going to be any different. If he comes out and averages 120, then well, geez, I took a chance and stuffed it up, but I just don't think that's going to happen. Um, one thing that one player that I probably got it wrong in the preseason in saying that Greenwood probably wouldn't go above 90, he. Really showed me up in round one pistol. I want to know your take. I watched the game, or parts of it anyway, and I didn't actually think that he had that stellar of a game but still went well over the triple figures. Yeah, this is something I'd uh, spoken about previously. It was a little bit disappointing um, seeing... Well, I mean, I guess it's a positive if you own him, but a negative if you you don't have him. And He just scored super, super well, and he played... Just super average. He didn't have even a good so that game. Wasn't, that wasn't just me. I was watching that going, he's really not doing much. How is he on 90? I just... Look, to get 116, usually, you have to you have to have a good game. I mean, Cripps got 112. Let, you know, let's put it like that. Greenwood got so many contested ball, but he just didn't really look like he was doing too much. And the whole game, I'm like, where is he? Oh, he's got that little handball here and there, and his points were so high, and this scoring system just works well with him as these contested midfieldy type players. Um, I think Greenwood's going to be, you know, a top six forward this year. Yeah. He, he's at a cheap enough price that, you know, it's worthwhile grabbing him now if you can get him in your side. He's not someone I move heaven and earth for, but, you know, if you've used up four of your trades and you're like, huh, I've got one extra trade and I can only afford like a, a crappier premium player who should i get you know I, I think you should <laughs> be considering somebody like greenwood yeah i think the one thing that we we kept knocking him on in the the preseason and thank god he doesn't listen to these podcasts because he'd probably get mad at us we do race him a fair bit oh, is not that, that much he, he he consistently throughout his career hasn't had high game time percentage hasn't had high minutes it was always in like the the high 80s low 90s which is um not it's definitely on the low end of the spectrum in terms of like full-time midfielders at, at, at AFL clubs. 
And then if you look at McRae or someone like that, it'd be way. Did you mean seventy and eighty? Not 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 eighty and ninety because not many midfielders play ninety plus. That, that's that's a lot of game time. Not 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 percentage like minutes. You know, oh, like minutes. Right, right, right. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. One hundred and twenty gotcha. minutes in a game. You know, whatever. Ruckman do one hundred and ten. You know, whatever. Um, but the thing is, the shorter game time allows for these burst type players to make more of an impact. And so I actually see a situation where Hugh Greenwood could benefit from the shorter format because he's not trying to get himself through a 30-minute quarter. You know what I mean? Like he he is able to get on the ball and just go ham for a couple of minutes, come off and have a break, and then you know just do it again because he knows that that quarter-time, half-time break is really close by. And I think that allows them to use him... Um, in a better role, more often, I think. And, and, you know, I saw him up around the ball quite often. I wasn't displeased with his role particularly. I just thought he didn't have a really good game. Hugh Greenwood? I thought we were talking about Levi Greenwood. <laughs> <laughs> no. All right, let's jump into the next one, Chizo. Wingard. He is a, a, I kind of put him in the same basket as Heaney in that, you know, we've seen seasons from him where we're just like, yep, this guy's going to go 110 one day. And it just never happens. Is this Wingard tease happening again? And are you going to fall for it? I mean, look, he, he played a lot in the midfield. He looked super good. Um, he had a lot of high scoring percentage plays as well. Look, the thing is, we've got Jaeger out for two, three weeks. So I expect his role... Um, to be quite good in the next fortnight. And I think he will score really well in the next fortnight. I'm just worried what happens when all of the Hawks midfield are, I guess, fully fit. So, you know, Titch, no concerns over him. Um, I want to see, you know, Warpedo, um, Titch, Jaeger all play. And then I guess you've got the rotation of Wingard and how much that affects him and exactly what his midfield forward split is. He's also not super-duper cheap. Um, like he's cheap, mm. don't get me wrong, but he's kind of at a price where it's. I wouldn't not... call him cheap. He's underpriced. Yeah, he's he's not at a price where I don't think that it's impossible for him to get back to somewhere near that price or within thirty k of his current price. So I'm not desperate to jump on somebody that is not a massive bargain. And yes, he very well could finish as a top six forward, but I'd rather wait for a little bit more sample size and. Uh, yeah, I think for me personally, that's my opinion on this situation, given as well how many other good forward options there are and which ones would take priority over Chad Wingard. Yeah, and that's just my personal preference. I don't tend to pick... I don't tend to. I don't tend to pick players that either turn up or don't turn up based on not really their ego, but whether they can be bothered. Like I, I've, I've seen a, a few instances of, of Wingard rocking up and really not trying whatsoever during a game and it's just it's one of one of those ones that you know you pick a Devin Smith or whatever he's just this little guy just trying to tackle anyone with a ball and you know you go on Devin I really want you on my side um but yeah with Wingard I just I've had enough man like I've I've owned him for too many years and too many mistakes and too many bad memories that I, I can't trust that his role is going to be good in the long term and he's another one that might prove me wrong, but I'm happy to be wrong then be wrong for the fourth time by picking him thinking he's going to break out. Fair enough. Let's move on. Uh, Jai Simkin is the next one. 383K. He managed to score um, 131. So he had a massive 
first round and um, he got to play kind of that midfield role that we saw him play at parts of last season. Um, for, Small sections, yeah. Yeah, for, for those that are unaware of how he went last year, he didn't really set the world on fire with you know, a super coach average of 71, but it was some of his games that caught the eye. He did have a score. He actually had two scores of 100. He had 106, 125, and 117 during that run. He also had a low score of 19, which... Uh, isn't particularly great. And I think that's going to be a little bit reflective of what we get from him this year as well. We're going to have those games, you know, we're speaking about these high-variance players. He's definitely somebody that can have a 40-point game um, and somebody that can have a 130-point game. And, you know, this is the way that it swung in round one where he scored 130, and I do expect him um, to have low games. But it's the price point that really gets me. At 383k, he's not quite cheap enough where he's going to definitely make me 100k and if he does make 100k am i holding him but he's not quite good enough to be a top 10 maybe best top 15 forward but he's not quite there i really needed him to be you know the same price as dev smith for me to consider but just for me he's 50k too expensive yeah and it's again the same thing that i keep bringing up you're predicting something to happen as opposed to knowing it's happened before like we have with dev smith if they were the same price uh you know Josh Smith fell down the, the draft board a little bit during um, his draft year because of injury, but he's always had that pedigree. He's always been, uh, if I liken him to someone in his own team, is like a, a bit of a Sean Higgins that kind of started forward and then developed into a midfielder is kind of what I see him uh, him being and what him him becoming. And so while there's a, a his name has been raised a few times, I think it would be a little bit outlandish to pick him based on one game sample size and hoping that he's going to do it for the entire year when he's priced at nearly 400k. I think that I think that's just too risky for me. I like how you went with an example of Sean Higgins when you had like the perfect example that you'd used in the previous sentence in Dev Smith. <laughs> like someone who's bored and then goes into the midfield. No, I mean like a style of play, like they 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 similar types of players the way that they accumulate and uh, uh, like how they get their ball and you know that they are good forward um and and things like that so yeah I, um whereas I, I see dev dev smith more to just a, a nuggety bloke that goes after the ball <laughs> all right well i'll leave you with that one because we're going to talk about ben long um and his role change so in the preseason we saw that he was running off the halfback flank that did happen in round one and he absolutely torched it cheese so 118 um, super coach points, but he also missed a quarter with an ankle injury. So, absolutely an amazing score. But I've got some questions that I need answered, and I want to know if Ben Long's massive score was the reason Robertson scored poorly. Um, if Robertson is guaranteed to be playing lockdown, you know, next week and the week after that and the week after that, or if this was just a matchup dependent. Um, I guess, situation, and maybe Robertson becomes a bit more of a rebounding halfback or intercept marking player um, in the next week. There's a lot of question marks. Um, I do feel like Ben Long will be a dedicated um, halfback flank, but I don't know if he's going to be the person that they want to get the ball into his hands every time, like he was in round one. Yeah, no, uh, pretty much, I, I can't really add to that. That, that, that That's spot on. Um, the only thing is I saw Slack blowing up about how his game was going and so I logged on to try and watch a bit of the game time and he wasn't even on the field. I could I was trying to figure out what number he was. I was like, 
They keep saying that he's playing really well, and I can't even see him. And that, you know, that was when he was off with the, <laughs> off with the injury. So I just switched it back off. So I, I didn't, I didn't see any uh, any of the Ben Long stuff. Yeah, um, but yeah, I think I think he definitely could be used as a cash cow, though. I mean, he, he's got potential. He's now got a break even of negative ten. He definitely could make you a hundred k. But something that might be a little bit of a worry is he's got. In round three and four, Collingwood and Richmond in back-to-back weeks. If he puts up some stinkers there, that's going to absolutely kill his, you know, any sort of potential for him to be a cash cow. Um, so I'm not, I'm not heavily against the pick, but it's just it, the risk there might be a little bit too high in my eyes. And it's the same thing that we're we're preaching, or at least I am. Um, when you're looking at someone like a Duda, who's virtually the same price, 10k cheaper. We've got exposed form that we know Duday can do X, whereas with Ben Long is another one that we're just going, can he do it? Maybe. Who knows? Let's go for it kind of thing. And I'm just trying to stick away. It's just I'm consciously trying to stay away from those players as much as possible this year. So I guess I would, I guess if I had to put an argument against that, Chizu, it would be maybe they're cheap enough where it becomes worthwhile to take that risk. And does our next player on the list, um, Darcy Fort, Geelong Ruckman, mm-hmm. he's got a good role. He's very cheap, you know, round two sixty k. Put up a ninety four in round one. Does he tickle your fancy? With these types of players, where we're expecting kind of a breakout, I want to stay as low as possible, and I tend to kind of try and keep these guys um, around the two fifty mark as possible. So I'd be more comfortable. St- like picking a Darcy Ford at 260 as opposed to a Ben Long at 280 because even if they go similar, then um, you, you've already saved yourself 20 grand. <laughs> but the thing that Darcy Ford has in his favour, not only is he available as a forward, but he's playing predominantly in the ruck for Geelong. And as we've talked about, ruckmen tend to be getting a little bit of a scoring buff, a little points buff this year and if he keeps that you know similar role going forward um i know he also spends a bit of time forward as well at geelong but if he's if he's getting some ruck time i can't see why he wouldn't be able to exploit that as a ruckman in our as as a forward selectable player in our side so many average ruckmen scored super well in round one and if darcy fought kind of encapsulated that he didn't have like a super good game he was pretty average. He did his role. He did enough that Geelong would be happy with him and probably select him again the next week. And he scored 94, which is good as a forward. Yeah. If he averages 94, he's going to finish you know, a top six forward. So uh, for me, I'm more worried about his job security because Stanley is quite capable. I mean, they did choose Fort above him. Who told you that? Going into round one. <laughs> that he's quite capable. Yeah. He's, he's quite capable, but he's not... Yeah quite what they're looking for. And the thing is that if we go into round two where Stanley is fully fit and available and Fort is fully fit and available and they choose again Fort over Stanley and leave Stanley completely out of the side, that will give me a lot of confidence that they're going to trial Fort as their number one ruck. Um, And when they're playing all these games at home, um, I think that's really going to help Geelong. They're going to win more games. Um, I think they'll be really beneficial for Fort as well. He might get a bit more larger portion of the pie because they're winning more games and, you know, more points are spread around his team um, because, you know, they're winning and they're in control of the matches. So uh, for yeah. me, if he's named ahead of Stanley, who uh, who's fitting out of the side, 
I think he could be potentially a worthwhile cash cow because that opportunity of a Ruckman listed as a forward, I mean, we saw what Marshall did last year. Rowan Marshall absolutely blitzed it in our forward line. He's not in the same category whatsoever, but even if he's a 20 points per game worse version of Marshall, that's still incredible. <laughs> yeah. You've heard it here first. We've got the next Marshall in 2020 oh, at Stasi Fort as per Pistol. And the only thing I'm worried about is they might rest him for the uh, the road trip all the way up to Melbourne, um, you know, just to save the legs over the long trip that, <laughs> you know, yeah, just to get him through the, the, the rest of the season now. There's no bias, just something to, to be conscious of there, Pistol. Uh, we'll jump into the next one that's had a lot of talk. And this player in particular has just been... Throw away the key, lock him in, got to have him. I was so silly I didn't pick him, but maybe that's not quite the case. That's Brett Bewley pistol. Everything that I said in the preseason still applies in that we think he's going to be playing on the wing, but they have a few players that could knock him out of that role a little bit and make him less uh, of an important ball user for them. Yeah, I like Bewley, but I'm not sure I like him as much now as I did at round one. I was pretty hot yeah. on him in round one, and that was um, partially because Akers was out for six to eight weeks, and uh, it looks like a nasty accident. But, you know, Akers is back now, and Bewley, we hope, will get first run on the other wing. And look, to be honest with you, he scored well um, in the first week with a 95, but his disposal efficiency was just out of this world. He barely missed mm. a target all game. I'm not sure that's a strength of his um he wasn't a very good disposal um user or you know he didn't use it well by foot last year or the year before that i know it was something he said he worked on in the the off season but he couldn't have made that much improvement surely he was unbelievable by foot and you know if he's if he misses a couple more targets and gets a few more clangers he's back down to that 70 average and that's probably not quite good enough for him as a cash cow, Chizo. And then on top of that, not just Akers is coming back, but we don't really know where Hill is going to 100% yeah, slot in. We don't know. I mean, Hogan has been apparently training the house down, as they, they always say. Um, McCarthy fainted the other day, and we're not really sure what the go is there. But if he's fit and Hogan's fit, how will they restructure their sides? Do they push McCarthy to the wing because that's the role that they you know, want him to play, and then does Akers get the other wing role? I'm not sure. There's too many question marks. I don't think he's going to be able to be a good enough cash cow. He might scrape 100K, 110K. So I wouldn't say it's like a, a fail pick. I think he's a fine pick, but I wouldn't say he's a good pick. Yeah, I, I guess the we just talk about Fort, who's almost identical price, and he scored almost the identical score, 95 to 94. And... It's important to remember that there's different reasons why they got there. Just looking at um, Bewley's stats here, 16 kicks and 8 marks. For a winger, that is indicative for me that he was a link-up player, that they were using him um, either through transition um, or delivering further up ground. And that's kind of the role that we want him to be playing. But that in this shortened format of the game really relies on them to be go to these wingers to go really well by foot. Even if they have a, a mediocre day, um, their limited, you know, opportunities, their little bit of out, you know, mostly out, outside, um, not uncontested possession kind of players are probably going to be hurt by the shorter scoring, you know, how the, the, the scoring is, is going into the new format of the AFL game. So, um, I don't think it's so cut and dry as everyone's just making it out. Like, 
just throw away the key. I don't think it's just that simple. Um, but I, I totally agree with you that there's definitely merit in the selection, but you've got to know why you're selecting him and that there are maybe some concerns you have to be conscious of. Don't just confirmation bias yourself into all the positives that you just got to go and go and get him. Yeah, and one of the things you said about knowing why someone scored the way they did is really interesting, particularly for the next person on our list, which is Jacob Townsend. He's only 220K, so he is quite cheap. Um, and he scored 99 in the round one. He's got a break-even of negative 14. But the thing that interests me the most um, about Townsend, well, there's two things. Firstly, he scored well because he kicked three goals um, in a relatively low-scoring match. Um, and, you know, can he maintain that throughout the year? Probably not. But we don't need him to maintain it throughout the entire year, yeah. Chizo. Something he needs to do only for, you know, a period of five to six weeks to really make you know, 110, 120, 130K. And his first month, he is set up beautifully. He plays Swans, then Melbourne, and then Carlton over the next three weeks. Um, they're all games where he could potentially kick quite a few goals and make money. But are you actually considering him as a selection, Chizo? Well, there's important thing. There's two important things to remember. Jacob Townsend is going to be the leading goal kicker at Essendon in 2020, and at the end of 2020, he's going to be traded to Sydney for two first round picks. <laughs> that that Dodo is not going to make the same mistake twice. Um, you're right in that he has kind of a role that works best for him. It's uh, we saw him move away a little bit from that pressure forward that he was in the uh, the the Tigers original flag season I think I think it was that it, it, he had that ripper final season um, and played well in the VFL that year it's kind of what Essen have just brought him in to do he's, he's going to benefit our forward line um, in many ways but he does have the ability to, to kick a few snags as well and as you say the next month is looking really really good for him potentially the thing is that he doesn't have we, we've got a lot of exposed form on Townsend but not when he's actually been one of the focal points in, uh, you know, in the forward line. Whereas he was always kind of like the guy coming off the bench, um, and getting a, a, a few lucky goals that way. Whereas I see with Essendon, he's going to be a bit more of a permanent fixture that's going to have more opportunities. So he he could end up kicking a few more goals. Yeah, I, do, so do you think he has other ways to score? Like, is he purely really. going to be reliant? Yeah. I think I think he will be a little bit reliant on goals, and you know the theory could be you could say well you know shortened format that means less goals that means if you can kick three in a week you're probably going to score well, um, you know that there's there's theory behind that we haven't really necessarily seen it I guess you could argue that is is ninety nine in round one is uh, is a little bit of evidence on that but you've got to look at the the the, the big picture there. Um, and I think that his scoring potential is going to be determined on how successful Essendon are at um, generating positive uh, forward 50 entries, which we tend to struggle with. So he's going to be scrapping um, uh, for, for his scoring opportunities. And I, th- I think that's the thing that concerns me, that he may have his scoring potential kind of no, his ceiling brought down because of that. Look, he's potentially a, a he's a one game where he's going to score zero goals and be the lowest scoring player. He was super coach on the field. He he will score yeah. 
less than 20 like that's very much on the 19. cards i don't <laughs> i don't know if that will happen in the first three rounds and that that might be all you need to make the money you want but yeah. it's going to happen at some stage um maybe against collingwood in round five who knows but yeah. um i guess it's up to you to determine if that's a risk that you're willing to take um but that's each each to their own for, for that pick Jeez, i want to touch on the next one i think um this isn't too interesting um, for listeners, so I might might fast forward through it. But Sam Sturt, he scored 100 in round one. He's got an unbelievable break even um, of it is minus 53. So he's going to make a lot of money very quickly. However, he is currently suffering from an injury. Um, I think it was back spasms, uh, Chizo. So we don't know if he's going to line up in round two. Um, we don't know what's happening with Hogan. We don't know what's happening with McCarthy. I mean, there's, I guess, potential that he gets dropped at some stage. I doubt he gets dropped after, you know, his one really good game, though. So he'd have to play a game, and then he could potentially be dropped if he played very poorly and, you know, Hogan was ready to return. Um, I think, for me, it's if Sam Sturt plays, I will get Sam Sturt and, and take whatever money I can get from him. I just don't know when that will be. Yeah, I'd, and I'm not particularly concerned... Um, with back spasms and stuff like that, I don't, I don't, I don't believe it's a significant injury. I think it's just a um, bit of old man syndrome. He's getting in his early twenties, <laughs> uh, uh, and as someone who has suffered from back spasms in the past, they are, they can be really debilitating, and they're different from day to day. You can just wake up one morning and you feel better, you know. So um, it's. Yeah, it's it, we'll. Pro- I, I think we'll see him in round two. That's my personal, you know kind of inkling i think that we're going to see him and if he if he is there for round two the way that the pricing system works you've just got to pick him up um and i think the forward line is one of those those lines that we have a few more options in terms of playing rookies not exactly scoring rookies um but he looks to be one of them you might be able to push someone like a max king from your field to your bench um which will be really positive for your team's overall scoring output as well as the cash generation so uh if he plays you've got to get him so, Cheezo, do you want to take us through the next player on the list? We're getting down to the last two, so we're nearly there. Um, yep. Take us. Who have we got? All right, I'll go through this one. You go the next one. Uh, obviously, Isaac Rankin, uh, he was a little bit uh, injury cloud to start the year. You know I've set you up, haven't I? Um, <laughs> start the year, uh, but he looks to be close to fit. Um, the last report that he, he was um, still a little bit away, but it was looking positive. Um, and it looks like he's going to be lining up in round two. And a lot of people are asking me, are you going to bring in Rankin if he's there for round two? And you know what? I probably will. He does have that injury history. He's, his short career has been riddled by injury a little bit there. But if he's ready to go by round two, his price makes him less of a risk, and he has the, the, the pedigree to not ward me off. I, I think that someone like Rankin has the capability to outscore similarly priced players like uh, a Max King or or a Kavara, so I I wouldn't be I wouldn't be disappointed if I I, I did the switch there. I I think he's going to be a, a decent selection if available. I just like a rookie with good job security, and I can't really imagine that he'd be dropped. I think they need to get games into him. He needs the experience. Yeah. So if He's named. Well, I mean, if he's named in real life, he'll be, you know, brought into my super coach side when he's on the bubble. Um, I just, you need that job security from a rookie. Yeah, I, and I absolutely agree. And not only that, 
high draft pick, really good pedigree. Looks like he's got some scoring potential if uh, more of a forward rather than a, um, uh, you know, rather than any kind of midfield time that you get from someone like a Matty Rao or something like that. But, uh, yeah, agree. Why don't you take us through the last one here, mate? <laughs> uh, you've set me up, but we're here to talk about uh, Geogenes. <laughs> That's what we're going um, Gatorade. Yeah, Gatorade. Um, still not entirely sure how to pronounce it, and we'll probably never pronounce it correctly, so we're just going to roll with it. <laughs> um, a 78 in week one, I felt, was... Probably on that upper end of scores for him, um, you know. I yeah. guess you don't get a better matchup than Gold Coast in round one. I'm, a, I have him in my side. I'm happy enough with him, and you know, hopefully he can make lots of money. I am a little concerned, Chizo. Um, you know, being in that, I guess hub, and the Gold Coast, it's not great when you've already played Gold Coast because the teams yeah. remaining become Adelaide, Fremantle, West Coast, and Brisbane. And at least West yeah. Coast and Brisbane are quite good. Um, Adelaide, it, it, the matches at Adelaide over, and I feel like anything could kind of happen, and it's a big stakes game. Down, yeah. So I'm not sure how he's going to go. And the Fremantle game, I guess, is good, but I'm a little bit worried for like a raw um, prototype forward exactly how he's going to go. I do expect him to be named even if Dixon um, returns, which he probably will. Um, I I just don't really know how that's going to affect his scoring potential. But honestly, if I had to choose a forward to bring in and I'd missed, you know, Sturt or Taylor and they were both named, I would get both of them above Gatorade. Um, I just, just, he's not a high priority rookie for me. You're speaking sense. I agree that 78 is probably on the higher end of the spectrum that we could expect from him. And he's going to rely on opportunity of the ball being delivered forward for him to be able to score. That's as simple as that. If Port Adelaide are coming against tougher teams like Brisbane and West Coast, as you say, again, away from home as well, and then the showdown against Adelaide where pretty much anything happens anytime anyway because it's like one of those only home and home and away games that play like a grand final it's you've got just a lot of evidence to suggest that he's going to struggle to keep up this high scoring way so um i totally picking up what you put down i i wouldn't be trading him out for someone no. because I, I still think that um he is going to be a good rookie selection and he's so cheap and the fact that he's come straight in for Port Adelaide in 2020 only signals good signs. Um, and particularly if he's still on the side there, when if Dixon comes back for round two, just another tick checkbox. He, he'd be someone I'd be more than happy trying to slide towards um, the bench if possible, if we were able to get uh, you know a Sturt, a Taylor um, onto, on, onto your, your, your forward line. So um, I, I totally agree with what you're putting down and um, I hope everyone is able to understand the reasoning behind that it's it's not just he scored well in round one it's you know trying to figure out why and what he can do going forward he's he's a player where i also wouldn't be surprised if he scored 22 and yeah you know, i don't want to put him on my field because i'm i'm, That's right. I'm more scared of the 22 and i'm more scared of that than I, that how much i want the 78 from him you know yeah. I, I feel like i would put someone on my field and just be like yep i'll just take a 60 thanks i'm not gonna risk 18 points for that potentially risking you know 38 points or whatever um so I just 
it's it's funny because I see a lot of people chasing him very hard within their five trades, and I guess that's probably a product of we're so unsure and uncertain about what rookies are going to be named. I feel like the rookies potentially could be kinder to us than people are imagining right now, and in that case, he's going to be a lot lower in my pecking order. Yeah, yep, I, I absolutely agree with that, mate, and that I think that wraps up. Um, the list of players that have jumped off the page at us that you might want to buy in your Supercoach team before round two in 2020, Pistol. Excellent. And uh, Chizo, we are still going ahead with all of our fun and games this year, particularly in the Patreon. We will you know, announce um, our cup a bit later in the season under revised conditions, given we started um, the Supercoach Cup after the buy um, last last year, yeah. yeah. So we we will we will pick a new time and we will go forward with that. But um, in the meantime, if you'd like to be involved in our Patreon and and particularly our Slack, where the, the chatter just never stops, it's constant Supercoach banter, <laughs> and you'll probably want to get in before the season starts. It's a, it's a great time now because it's a brand new month as well. So you're not paying for like two days of a month. You you get the entire month. So um, definitely check it out. Um, you can find a link to our Patreon in the comments on our facebook page uh cheese i'm not sure where else but you usually organize that so why don't you take the rest of this <laughs> you can find it on the patreon website as well if you're looking for us just dr supercoach patreon.com forward slash dr supercoach if you do want to get involved uh totally up to you of course uh, there will be behind the scenes content and whatnot uh pistol it's been fantastic having you on you if you want to find us during the week you can get us on our twitters we've got pistol underscore drsc jb underscore drsc and chizo with a z underscore drsc our main channel is dr underscore sc for any big news and comments that we do want to put out there and it's been fantastic talking to you again pistol it's great to finally have Supercoach on the horizon yeah, thanks for having me. I think um, a couple of comments I've received over the, the last couple of days, and they say, what are we going to do with the Donate for Donuts this year? You know, how we've been raising money for the Cancer Council. I don't know. Um, if someone has a particularly good idea, um, please reach out to me so that we can try and put forward some campaign to raise money for the Cancer Council. Um, I wish there was buys just so that we could be doing it this year. I'm not sure how um, there'll be a fun campaign to make it work this year so have to put in our thinking caps but i'm sure if we have a couple of people brainstorming uh please do reach out to me that would be awesome but otherwise chizo uh thanks for coming on me with the podcast and thanks community for listening